0: and welcome. My name is Patricia Clark and this is the first of the Lifted by Love podcast series where we're going through the book that hopefully you're reading either on your own or with some friends or with a group. And today I have with me my good friend and podcast old podcast partner Tommy Thompson and we are going to discuss chapter one.
1: I am so excited to be a part of this. It's so fun to be back together podcasting, and it's fun to be on, in a sense, this side of the table of, of uh, actually asking you for some thoughts and working through this together. And I've got to say, I'm loving this study. I think it's a real art to get a Bible study guide and do it well. And I, I love the variety in it, and I love the thoughts that have been expressed, so I'm really excited about diving more deeply into all of these topics.
0: Well, thanks, and welcome to everyone. And let's get started with chapter one. You know, this podcast is meant to supplement the book, so a lot of what happens in the book is we get into the nitty-gritty of the historical context and what life was really like for Peter. But today, what I want to do is zoom out and think about what Peter's life was like with Jesus and its relevance to the world today. So one of the things that happens in chapter 1 is that Peter is a fisherman, and this man named Jesus comes around, and he is, says this statement. He says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near." repent and believe the good news. And then he goes up to Peter and he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And these words really had, a, had huge historical significance at the time, which you can read about in the chapter, but today these words are pretty elusive and don't make sense. Like what words, Tommy, would you say kind of don't sit right with us today when you read that?
1: Well, I think there are a lot of words. That and phrases that hit that way. And I think that's one of the real values of kind of diving more deeply into this, because for those that are coming from a faith background, we're used to using these phrases almost without thinking about them and almost without realizing that they don't connect with us. And so we they kind of just go right over our heads. And then for those who aren't coming as much from a faith background, they seem very foreign and inaccessible. So I think what's going to be interesting for us to talk about is some of these phrases and what do they really mean and how can we bring these phrases into our worlds and our lives. So one that I'd love to just dive into kind of right on the front end because I think it's one that that I've often kind of been stuck on is this phrase, the kingdom of God, Mm. the kingdom of God. It's not one that's really familiar, particularly in the United States where we don't think about kingdoms. So how would you describe what you think was going on in the first century with Jesus and those he talked to, Jesus and Peter, when he said the kingdom of God?
0: Well, I think the best way for me to get my head around what life was like when these statements were made, well, first of all, there were were not, you know, democracies. There were not the kind of regimes and states that we have now. Everything was a kingdom. There was a, a specific ruler. And (laughs) you're going to laugh, but I think the best way to visualize it is to think Game of Thrones.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Game of Thrones was kind of
0: the vibe, okay? And it was all about becoming the leader, getting ahead, having power, so much so, I mean, if you've seen the Game of Thrones, you know that incest was prevalent because they didn't want to dilute the bloodline, you know? And so there was this, this need for I've got mine. I'm in charge. I want to be in power. And everyone else is my enemy because you're a threat to my power. And so that was kind of the way the world operated for for you know for thousands and thousands of years. And what happens in the Old Testament is that we have a recording of the Jewish people who have this God who starts telling them a different way to live that isn't all about I've got mine, and I'll step on whoever I need to until I get there. There was this value of caring for other humans, caring for other people who don't have enough. Um, It's it's almost like a non-evolutionary way of approaching other human beings, where you're not just trying to stomp on someone to survive. It's about caring for humanity and for your community. And what Jesus does is he introduces a new layer to what began with the Jewish people, And he introduces this new layer that is going to unfold and we'll learn about in this book, but he calls it the kingdom of God. And there's a new set of values that he's bringing in that is very, very different from the values that existed at that time. And it's still that way. Like, we still have this tendency to just put ourselves at the center of things.
1: So I think one of the questions, if if, if you have the kingdom of God on on kind of one side of the equation, how would you get at what's the other kingdom? What's the other kingdom that is in conflict, in competition with the kingdom of God?
0: Yeah, so... I would say the other kingdom that is in competition with the kingdom of God is, is really summed up by this phrase that says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Hmm. And so you imagine all these people who are really just trying to do what's right in their own eyes, but what's right for one person might be terrible for another person. And so it creates this um, um, discontinuity in relationships, There's um, discord in relationships, and there's um, dehumanizing of other people because you're using other people to get ahead. And I want to paint a picture and juxtapose what the kingdom of God feels like compared to the kingdom of the culture. I um, had these two experiences, and because they happened r- literally back to back, I noticed the difference in the way they felt. So here here are the two little moments. I had one moment where I, one of my kids had been working really, really hard for something for most of her life and it all came together in a good way on one day. She had to get a certain SAT score in order for this college to accept her, which was this amazing opportunity, and it all came together on one day. And it was this awesome day for her. I mean, I literally fell out of my bed when she came and told me at 6 a.m. what her SAT. I, I was just so happy and proud of her. And I would describe that moment as a bit of a rush. It was definitely a high. And there was kind of this anxious excitement about it. Okay, so just hold those words, like a rush, a high, and this kind of anxious excitement. That that day that I found that out, I happened to be attending a community gathering that was a really unusual community gathering that I had went to for a couple of years. And the thing that made it unusual is that it was from women from all over the city. And so you had women who send their kids to private school and go to country clubs and take exotic vacations in community with women who are single moms with living in government housing who are really struggling to keep their electricity on. And it wasn't a charity event. It's a friendship gathering. So it's fellowship and friendship. And we would read the Bible together. So there was this equal kind of playing field where we were all connecting from a place of equal vulnerability. So I went to this gathering that day, and you never knew who would show up, but there was a woman who came in who sat near me, and she brought a baby. And usually children didn't come, but this was a newborn baby. And I remember sitting there looking at this adorable child and knowing that there was something kind of off about this baby, Mm. just in the way the eyes were and everything. And about halfway through the meeting, this woman... Uh, there was some uh, uh, one of the people there was a beautiful singer and she was playing a song and it was moving everyone and this woman just has tears coming down her face the mother of this baby and she she kind of raises her hand and says I would love for you all to pray for me because I'm really struggling with addiction I love this new baby of mine and I don't want to bring this son of mine into the world this way and I just... Don't feel like I'm strong enough. Will you all pray for me? And it was so moving—her vulnerability and her devotion to her child and her love for this child was just palpable. And so, what happened was, this group of women from all over our city gathered around and just like held her hand, placed our hands—you know—just touched her, had this human connection with her, and prayed and encouraged her. And I remember getting my car and driving back to pick up my child from the carpool line of this world that is so about competition and getting ahead and looking good. And I remember having this overwhelming sense of peace from being with that woman and being with that gathering. And I had a high. It was a high. But that high had different feeling than the high I'd had that morning that high was more of a filling up there was a warmth and peace and there was a a deep satisfaction a deep satisfaction the other high which was not bad there was a nervous excitement of this is amazing how can i hold on to this
1: Or how can I repeat it?
0: Or how can I repeat it? And how much is it going to cost me to maintain and repeat this? Right. And then my kids, when they grow up, what are they going to sacrifice in their life to maintain and repeat that high and that value? And I was just so grateful that I was able to, to experience and taste of the two different highs because if the only high I know is that successful moment with my daughter, I don't know that there's something better out there.
1: It's, it's so true. And, and it feels like that we're in a culture that is uh, obsessively, compulsively trying to create repeat experiences of that first kind of high that you talked about, because it's what we know. It's, it's kind of the only thing often we know that feels good is what can we do to elevate our situation, elevate Ourselves elevate our family, or our, and we don't we don't know that there's um, a, a better way, mm-hmm. a deeper, even more fulfilling way that exists that you describe in in the second. And you know, I, I think one of the neat things is it isn't necessarily it's it's not about it being one or the other that one's bad and the other's good, but that the richness is found. I think more in that second experience and then the first experience can actually be enjoyed more richly Mm -hmm. when we're not obsessively trying to clutch it.
0: I'm glad that you add that point because I don't think that first experience with my daughter was a bad experience unless it's what rules my life.
1: Rules my life. That's the kingdom language. Yeah. And so
0: there's this, there's this uh, misnomer or this illusion that we have that when we do things our own way and we just kind of look out for ourselves, that we're doing what's best for us. But really, we're serving whatever the values of our community has raised up, which again are not bad. But if they're not the ultimate thing that we uh, that bring good and that satisfy our souls, then we're kind of heading down this path that leads to an, a sense of disappointment and um emptiness oh well it that moment wouldn't be empty if i wasn't investing my whole life in it
1: exactly yes so Mm
0: -hmm. when you kind of put it in its proper place and the thing about that moment at the um at the gathering that it's so eye-opening and enlightening to me is that it doesn't make sense on paper like why would me spending time with someone who comes from a very hopeless, despairing place. I didn't give her money. She didn't have some miraculous healing from drug addiction. We just connected. Mm -hmm. All we did was connect in a deep way. And somehow that connection was incredibly filling and satisfying. And I want to make, highlight this point that one of the things that marks the kingdom of God is a deep human connection with each other and a deep human and and sacred connection with God, our King. And sometimes this other kingdom, the one that I was sort of living in with my daughter, it's less about human connection and it's more about... Competing—it's more about um, almost presenting a false self that looks perfect, but it isn't. And I think that's why that kingdom can somehow feel very lonely and empty. Because what do what does it cost us to get ahead in that kingdom? And so I I think if if I were to offer one thing for people to take or one point for people to take is that in this gathering that you're doing as you study this this book together it's my hope and it's my prayer that over time that that this will cr- create a space for you to have honest connection with other people and one of the ways that happens is us being vulnerable and honest about where we are i think it's one of the ways that people in my community really need to learn from this woman, because she was at a place where she was willing to be vulnerable. She didn't have to be perfect. And that somehow brought healing to me. Like, it taught me. She taught yeah. me that day.
1: Yeah. And, and that's amazing. That's kind of that beauty of the, the upside down where the kingdom of God is central. And I think of the verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness, and all the other things, will be added to you. And mm-hmm. I think that's, to me, that's what's so core in this: is it? It isn't that God's saying, you know, it, it's one or the other that you can't ever do anything and enjoy something. But it, it's if it's the kingdom, it's if it's what reigns, it's what's first in your life. Mm-hmm. And when the kingdom of God, that connection that you talk about. Directly with God and with others. When that's first, when it's in its right place, all the other things fall into place in a richer, deeper way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it it's critical. If it if it's not first, then everything gets distorted, uh, poisoned mm-hmm. almost. The really good things even can get poisoned. So uh, that that choice to say that you know. I'm not going to live my life solely about me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to invest. There was an investment that you made in something that was probably slightly uncomfortable to go to that gathering. Sure, at first. It was a choice to say that life is more than just about me. Mm -hmm. And yet you were so um, rewarded. And I think that's exactly what God wants. He wants to reward us with these incredible connections.
0: Well, and it didn't start with a good feeling. It started with an uncomfortable feeling going to those meetings. But it was a response to what's taught in our faith of it's not about just connecting with your own tribe and your own people. It's about really valuing and seeing the dignity in people who are different from you and in all humans. And so it's a response to the that kind of king value that Jesus lays out and does lay out for Peter. But we don't start that way. Like, there's not a human on earth that starts that way because it's a little bit like, okay, let's see if this analogy lands with you. But a real tomato that's picked in August off a of vine has a fundamentally, with, you know, really good salts, maybe a great olive oil, has a fundamentally different taste than that kind of pale pink white thing that you get in a salad bar or on your burger at, at some place. <laughs> like, it's not even the yeah. same thing. But if all you'd ever tasted was that, you know, refrigerated burger, pale pink tomato, you wouldn't know that there was something else out there. So you would just take that sort of lame, limp tomato. And I think as humans, what what I'm hoping in this time and what happens is that God is regularly showing up in our lives when we have eyes just like let's just open our eyes and introducing and showing up and giving us a taste of his kingdom of yeah. his joy of his connection and when we taste of that it increases our appetite for the real thing and we become less it's not that we're not interested in being good and successful but we we orient our life around that less because we know that there is a there is a more satisfying f- way that leads to more flourishing to orient our lives. And so we naturally develop a taste for this goodness and this connection that we it, it, none of us have on our own. Like, we're not wired that way. We're wired like Game of Thrones. I mean, that's— Right.
1: Well, and I think that's that's kind of what Jesus was getting at in the first half of that verse. The time is fulfilled, uh, and the kingdom of God is near. It's like, I'm I'm all about showing you a better— way there there's a better tomato yeah. <laughs> out there than than what you've experienced but i love it and i think that i'd love to unpack one other word that i think really throws people both in the church and outside of the church that i think fits so much into what we're talking about with these kind of these kingdoms the kingdom of god and the kingdom of self or whatever and it's this word repent hmm. it's where you know it has such a uh i'd say negative connotation you think yeah, you about bristle. the person on this uh, on the street corner that yelling and screaming at you as if you're just this horrible thing repent and mm-hmm. and yet i wonder and i think and i love how you unpacked in, in the bible study kind of the the roots of that in the greek word and the hebrew word but i think it's important to talk about what is really meant when Jesus said and John the Baptist said repent what what do you get what do you think was underneath that
0: well i know that that word when it was heard was really the words turn back or turn around and it was not always used in a religious context. In fact, it was most often not used in a religious context. It has become a religious word. But at the time, it was often used um, to say, you know, this this dirt path that you're on that you think is taking you to this city, it's actually not the right one. You're supposed to be on this path. It was like a directional word.
1: So I can use that with Wheezy if she's going the wrong direction. I could say, repent, Wheezy. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let's try that. Let's see how that goes over. And um, <laughs> sorry, Wheezy. Um, so it, it's more the sense of, you know, the, the path that you're on that you think is going to be the sole satisfying path that you've got all your invested resources and time and to get ahead. When you get to where that path is leading, it's not going to be what you thought. So, hey, turn back, recalibrate. And let me help tell you a different place that you might want to start walking towards. So it's it's a directional thing. It's not a, you're a terrible person. In fact, the word repentance is really an invitation. And it's invitation to all of us, whether we're people of faith or not, but to just take a moment to consider the path that we're on and is it leading to the place that is the the place of most flourishing, not just for ourselves, but for others. And we're given this opportunity with Peter to turn back and take a different path. And I, I, let me just add this caveat that when Peter decides to follow Jesus, and we'll see this later, he doesn't know what he's getting into. He's entering into a little bit of like, I'm going to follow Jesus because I think he's going to be the religious leader that's going to bring about what I want to happen in my life and for my people. So he enters into it almost with some selfish motives, maybe. Um, We we don't know. We don't know what was going on inside his mind. But we can start that way. We start wherever we are. We can just start without having any good, really good intentions. We can just start. With the place that we are, if we're feeling unsatisfied with our path, or we have this sneaking sense that it's not leading to where we want it to be, and we know that there's a better way, but we don't know how to get there, our lives are crazy. Nobody has time to go to church. I don't understand any of this. You know, I'm, all of the things that are are permeating our modern lives. That's where we start.
1: Well, I love that, and I, I think what a what an incredible reframing of the word to to talk about repenting as an invitation. Mm. And I think that is actually so much on on the money, that it's an invitation to something that's better. But I also think with that, there's a challenge in that the invitation is to do something. It's to change. It is to turn around. And it's like when Jesus called Peter, Peter had to respond with, something, a change. He mm-hmm. changed directions from being a fisherman of fish to a fisherman of of men. And at some level, all of this Bible study and this and this conversations all invites us to changes. And sometimes it's those small changes, a small change in a relationship, but the repentance is an invitation mm-hmm. to a better way by way of Making changes, real changes. Yeah,
0: I'm glad that you brought that word up because I think even though we were talking about these two kingdoms, I think that that is almost like the the connector between the two kingdoms. When you find yourself in this kingdom of of self, and you want to have the kingdom of God present and near and impacting you. The connector, the turning point, is that word repent, which is just an invitation. Hey, come on over. Yeah. Come on over and and maybe explore this. So... Thank you so much for discussing this with us, and I hope that all of you listening are going to have a chance to talk about it with other people, because that is really where the change happens when we are with—it's not a solo journey. It's something that we do with other people, and that makes it really fun, too. So I hope that you enjoy your discussions with your groups or with your friends, and we'll be back next week for Lesson 2 or Chapter 2.
1: Thanks so much for including me.
0: Thanks,